A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. It's the Road to Roll Football Show on our Week 7 recap where we talk the entire Sunday slate sans Sunday Night Football because we're not that great. There's no way to get it in the podcast. Um, we don't know how to do it. But no, it's, we got to get done before then, guys. That's the yeah, point. That's, that is the point. We've tried to use AI to predict. We have. Happened, and it did not did not work. went really, really poorly. We've scrubbed those two episodes from the internet. <laughs> and I'm joined here by Denny Carter where we're... We're going to talk, oh man, bro, for leading the show off with Broncos Packers. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's real bad. Uh, I'm really sorry, everyone. Real, real bad. And then uh, Browns, Colts, Bears, Raiders. Denny and I had some real, real bad games today. But yeah. wasn't that great of a slate? Very, very much, including the Broncos 19 to 17 win over the Packers. The game the Broncos had in hand for a while, then they coughed up the lead. Then for once, they didn't complete the choke, and they actually came back and won. Uh, to me, the takeaway from this game, Denny, was this Jordan Love once again and coming off by, right? Yeah. And just looking like hadn't figured anything out. This honestly looking like I, a player that I don't really know how he's going to survive as starter beyond the season. He's been bad enough. That I don't even know how, if he'll finish the season as starter. And there's no real reason for them not to finish the season with him as starter. But where is the hope coming from with Jordan Love? And just what did you see with Jordan Love against the Broncos? Beyond pure uncut hopium, uh, I, I don't know where it comes from here. It, it was awful. I joked in the blurb on Jordan Love that he made the, the 23 Broncos look like the 85 Bears. And honestly, uh, they they did. They, they look like a legit defense. This is a a Broncos defense that has been allowing 33.3 points per game. Okay. They are, uh, they are dead last in almost every like normie defensive metric there is. Okay. And Jordan love and the, and the Packers couldn't do anything against them all day. Okay. No aggression in their game plan, no real plan beyond, you know, dump it off on design screens to the running backs or to the receivers at the line of scrimmage. Uh, nothing for for Christian Watson going down the field. Re- really, like a very bleak situation, I think, for the Packers. And I had the same thought as you on Jordan Love during this game. I, I think that any anyone being honest with themselves has to ask, like, wh- like when when does 
when do they make the switch? Like when do they go to Sean Clifford, the rookie out of Penn State? Because they can't be much worse, honestly. Clifford, they'll probably wait. If, if things continue as they are, I think they'll still stick with love probably deep into December because at this point, I mean, th- their best option is just hoping yeah. he shows random improvement, which he might. I, I, we know he's a first-year starter, but you can't be a former first-round quarterback in your fourth year in the NFL and it's like look totally unprepared for the NFL, basically. Totally. Yeah. And he's just looking a lot like the guy – whose final season in college had 20 touchdowns and 19 interceptions. The draft community really, really wanted that to be an aberration. And it's not looking like it was an aberration. There was all sorts of alibis, all sorts of excuses for that. But he's just so, so inaccurate, like just stunningly inaccurate. And you talk about nothing going for the Packers offense. That very much included in the running game to Aaron Jones. They kind of needed to like be their Pied Piper and save the season active for the first time since week four. And he got eight carries. I mean, why, what's the, why, like what, yeah. what is going on here? I, I mean, I, I guess, I guess it's a situation where they, they didn't want to give him too much work coming off of the hamstring injury, but um, yeah, only eight carries, 15 carries for AJ Dillon, who didn't do much with them outside of a 15 yard run in the second half. Knock me over um, a feather. And, and, and then uh, Aaron Jones had three catches on the day on five targets. A.J. Dillon had two catches, so they kind of split up uh, the pass-catching work. I, I mean, the, I, as an Aaron Jones drafter in a few spots, week one was a lot of fun. I, I, I will <laughs> say that. I, I think about week one Aaron Jones uh, more than I should, really. It's not healthy at this point. No, that's not. not coming back. It's not no. coming back. That That's over. That's over because everything's over. All, all ye see cope. I'm, I'm butchering some quote here. Uh, Denny, uh, who who is Ben Sims? Who is Emmanuel Wilson? These are people who caught passes for the Packers. It's like they what, did. They what did. What is going uh, on here? Wilson, Wilson, I believe is, yes, he is a running back. He, he is a running had, back. He had two carries for 19 yards. He looked way, way more explosive and better than A.J. Dillon, I will say. Um, I, I mean, I guess he had two catches for eight yards as, uh, as coming out of the backfield. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going. Is it, is it now a three, a three headed, uh, backfield committee in green Bay? I don't, I don't really, I don't really get it. Uh, I know that Jones was a little bit unlucky today. AJ Dillon was just his normal, like super inefficient self. Um, it was. I think they were looking for answers. They tried to, a trick play to get things going uh, with Devon something Wicks. It's <laughs> Ontavian Wicks. Come on, man. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't want to. This I guy was at least drafted. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I didn't want to butcher. Anyway, Wicks had, had a trick play, uh, but they they're looking for answers, and I just don't know if they can get those answers while Jordan Love is playing like this. You mentioned his inaccuracy. And then, and then and that's a real problem. I mean, I, I feel like it's the only thing that matters with him is he's not accurate. I, I, right. You and, can't and overcome that unless you're like an elite athlete and he's not. He's he's like bottom three in completion rate over expected. And, and, and by the way, he was miserably inaccurate in the early season, too. This is not a new thing. OK, no. like he just got away with it. So early and you can't get away with it forever. Uh, and we're seeing that now. Yeah. Dontavian Wicks. Kidding aside, as a fifth round rookie, but just indicative of Matt LaFleur, I feel like is just flailing. And this is also like it's a young league. You don't want to get old. You never want your, especially your skill players, to get too old. 
with this skill core, I think you're seeing like the perils of us like way too young. Like they don't have any established pass catching threats. It's just I think you're seeing one of the results of that. That no one like in crunch time they can like lock on to. No one with like a clear cut role, like this is what this player does in the NFL. This yep. guy moves the chains. This guy's a force in the red zone. This guy's a yards after the catch. I mean, they have a few guys where you could guess what their role should be. Like Christian Watson should be a downfield threat. This is way too young, way too unestablished of a skill core and very, very hard to see how things get better. I mean, it's also very hard to see how things get better with the Broncos. Is there anything even worth talking about the Broncos skill players at this point? None of them ever do anything. The backfield is now a three-man committee. Uh, Jaleel McLaughlin like, is cool, I guess. Javante Williams had a good day. Cortland Sutton did at six catches, 76 yards, a touchdown. Yeah. A- anything worth taking home here from this Packers skill core? Or excuse me, this Broncos skill core. Yeah, so they, they want Javante Williams to be the guy. And that was shown today with he had 12 carries for 76 yards, uh, a couple explosive runs, including a 21-yarder. Uh, against the Packers, uh, Jaleel McLaughlin, the, the rookie who Sean Payton loves. I can see why he loves this guy because all McLaughlin does is make yards after contact and 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 get more than than is blocked for him, right? He had five carries for 45 yards, okay, nine, nine yards a pop. I had a 23-yarder mixed in there. Uh, McLaughlin also... Uh, caught uh, one one pass on two targets. Uh, what, what I'm saying, I I I think Javante Williams is like a really boring RB two or three right now. Okay, he is like that's just the way it is. I, I just I just want to put remind folks that if Javante misses time, if they decide to go in the direction of McLaughlin, he's a really explosive player. I think he could be really fun for fantasy. But as it is now, it doesn't really matter. He's the only player like doing anything new in the Broncos skill core. Jerry Judy, five catches, 64 yards, 64 yards. Jerry Judy, second most of the season. That kind of tells you all you need to know about where he's at right now. Uh, Still zero touchdowns. They should trade Jerry Judy. The Packers should trade Aaron Jones, by the way. We forgot to mention the Packers, Luke Musgrave, the tight end, picking up an ankle injury. Unclear how serious that is, but yeah. talk more than enough about the Packers and the Broncos. Denny, we got to move on to some really good games. Oh yeah. I had. Let's do it. Uh, at least it was exciting. Well, the, uh, yeah. Cle- the Cleveland Browns outlasting the Indianapolis Colts 39 to 38. What do you want to know about this game? I mean, what in the world that, that first of all, it was, it was the longest game, longest non overtime <laughs> game in recent memory, right? Not a joke. It ended after four 30 Eastern yeah, I do the Thursday night games this year, and I have to go to bed early this year since I've had this fourth kid. And if there had been in a three and a half hour game on Thursday night, I, it would have been so jover for me. Oh, I was man. just all I was doing was thanking my lucky stars. This was not a Thursday night game. It, yeah, I don't know how it was so long. Yeah, you would have never never recovered from that. No. So 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 Gardner Minshew, the ultimate contrarian play apparently for DFS. Yes, uh, fifteen completions in this one. Fifteen. For 305 yards, okay, which uh, seems unsustainable. He accounted – Gardner Minshew accounted for four touchdowns, two through the air, two on the ground. What what was what was that all about? This was Minshew mania all over again. Yeah, I'm not sure if the 305 on 23 attempts is going to sustain. And it was just like you saw the virtue of having some wild hair upside. You also saw the peril of that because it was – not even it's a clean narrative, but it's because it's true. He was alternating 
like hero ball theatrics with just absolutely backbreaking turnovers, <laughs> including the game, a game ending loss fumble. He had a lost fumble in the end zone for a fumble six. Almost all of this was initiated by Miles Garrett. I mean, Miles Garrett, when he got through, was basically ending Gardner Minshew's life in this game. Yeah. It was really, really bad, but he took advantage. Then for some big play, the, t- the rushing touchdowns were not like fluke quarterback rushing touchdowns. They were like kind of rugged, especially his 17 yarder in the first quarter. I believe that was him keeping a read option and looking like very athletic. The second one was a four yarder. So these weren't like one or two yard plunges. He was some tough. He's just a really, really tough player. Obviously, you know, all about the dog levels. Passing, of course, was fluke here. The touchdown to Josh Downs, 59 yards. Uh, the Bronc, or the, excuse me, the Browns are in a zone. They kind of just forgot about Josh Downs. It was a free play. No one was covering him on the sideline. Minshew made the read. He was off to the races. 75-yard Michael Pittman touchdown. There was just like a simple crosser, and then some really, really poor tackling from the Browns. And then some. I don't know if it was, it was speed that I feel like I haven't seen Michael Pittman display in a while. And he got free and, yeah, made the house call. And so Gardner Minshew putting people in position to make plays, making plays when given the opportunity to. But, yeah, I mean, the guy is a turnover machine. I mean, this was Miles Garrett. This was the Browns. Yeah. But he is a turnover machine. A- 18 carries for both of Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss in this game. So the Colts know they can't be putting this, like, on Gardner Minshew's shoulders. It's another tough pass defense in Week 8 in the Saints. And I think we'll see similar amount of attempts – and of course, nowhere near that amount of production. No, insane, insane production. Uh, yeah. So Jonathan Taylor with 21 total touches, including uh, three receptions for 45 yards. I saw a big one he had, a uh, 20 yarder in the second half. So it, uh, I guess it's still a split up uh, backfield. And and it would seem like, like you said, the Colts want to want to lean a conservative run heavy. I guess that's good for Taylor down in, in the long run, even if Zach Moss sticks around. Yeah, it's weird. It's like good news, sort of bad news for Taylor. It's going to be different than what we're used to with John Taylor, where part of his appeal was always like he's the every snap guy. like yeah. He's handling every touch in his backfield. That is seeming like it's not going to be true, but it's also seeming like it, it, he's always been on a run-heavy Colts offense, but this is going to be like the run-heaviest by far. I don't know what was going on with Frank Reich, but it seemed like he kind of lost his like run game design, fa- his everything design fastball. Shane Steichen – is at least like designing big plays. He's making the most of he's got, it's not like he has no talent, but he doesn't have a ton of talent. He's making the most of it. And there's just going to be a lot of overall carries. He is seizing. Of course, he's going to get the, the lion's share of those. Even though Zach Moss is probably going to maybe be in like the eight to 12 range every week for handles. It's gone up every week for Jonathan Taylor. The production's gone up. Every, that's what we really needed was, he finally like vastly outproduced Zach Ma. I think it was 120 to 62 on Sunday, getting the first touchdown. And like, we're not flying like a mission accomplished banner here necessarily, especially heading in against like a tough defense in the saints. But like the Rubicon has been crossed where even though if you look at the box score, it was a timeshare with 18 carries a piece. He's, he's seizing the lion's share of that work. And I I think it's gonna be a pretty stable floor. And when, when a guy like Jonathan Taylor has a stable floor, Ceiling is never far away because that big playability should hopefully still be there. Uh, on the Brown side of the ball, uh, there was a lot of confusion about Deshaun Watson's situation. Uh, he was one for five for five yards and an interception. I thought it was two interceptions, but it just says one here. 
It was uh, well. It was the play where he was in track. Yeah, yeah. It was like the ball had grazed the turf. To be frank, it could have probably still been called a pick, but he hit the ground in like pretty sickening fashion. Like one of those things where his body, I thought, like kind of briefly went limp. But I, I don't know if he was ever even evaluated for a concussion. And his arm was kind of dangling. He was cleared to return to the game. So like in true like bizarre 2023 Deshaun Watson fashion. He was apparently cleared to continue playing football, but then did not continue playing football. Coach Kevin Stefanski said it was his decision. Basically, it just seemed like he saw his life flash before his eyes, Stefanski. And after he just missed a month with the shoulder, he didn't want to do anything to like jeopardize the rest of the season. Very, very conservative call. One yeah. that did pay off. Stefanski did say after the game, Deshaun Watson will start in week eight against the Seahawks. But yeah, uh, continuing the theme of nothing being normal. With Deshaun yeah. Watson's 2023. Right. So PJ Walker comes in, throws 178 yards, uh, no no touchdowns, an interception, uh, like just basically what we saw last week against the Niners, like barely, barely being able to coax the offense along. They were pretty run heavy here uh, with Jerome Ford getting 11 carries, Cream Hunt getting 10. Ford, of course, starts the game with a 69 yard touchdown. He then gains. Uh, five yards on 10 carries after that. So uh, that, that didn't go as expected. And then the final carry, he suffered a possible high ankle sprain. He missed the fourth quarter. Cream oh. Hunt took over, scored two touchdowns. Pierre Strong was the number two. P.J. Walker, uh, this ain't it, basically, was P.J. Walker. They don't win without the four Gardner Minshew turnovers. They don't win if Dustin Hopkins hit three different field goals of 44 yards or longer including two of 50 or longer. They got the defensive touchdown. P.J. Walker had nothing at all to do with the victory. They need Deshaun Watson back. Yeah, Jerome Ford, it's not looking great. He, it seemed like he was uh, pretty hurt. Are they, are they going to gaslight, uh, gaslight us on this? Are they going to say they that it's a very, very low sprain, the lowest maybe anyone has seen? Listen, the, X, the X-ray will be negative. The MRI will be negative. The CT scan will be negative. There'll be an entirely new medical technology that will finally be unveiled on Friday to detect the high ankle sprain. And after he's gotten in three limited practices, and then he won't play in week eight against the Seahawks. And he won't play till Christmas. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So maybe maybe a Ford uh, manager should should kind of be prepared for that. So we, we got nothing uh, from Amari Cooper, two catches no. for 22 yards on eight targets. Hey, we got yeah. that going for yeah. us. Uh, David Njoku, nine targets, leads the team, five catches for 54 yards. I, I saw they almost threw a touchdown to him, may, maybe almost two touchdowns to him. They uh, real, real close game, real close, real close big game for Njoku. Is that right? Yeah, shaky hands, very, very shaky hands. It's kind of always been his thing. Nine targets a season high, though, 54 yards a season high. Still not happening for Elijah Moore. Or It seems like they basically have to like spoon feed him the ball. It's just not happening. Mari Cooper... He, he was the target on the pick. It was a downfield. I will say he could have been close to a better game, but the ball wasn't that wasn't really close to being a completion. Just kind of like like you chalk this game up as a loss. Like PJ Walker just wasn't happening. So therefore yeah. it was not happening for Amari Cooper. Uh, it's a weird team because David Njoku not building off last year's momentum at all. Elijah Moore still looking like Elijah Moore. Amari Cooper still looking like Amari Cooper. That's fine. But if you're only like like truly like set weapon as Amari Cooper, you know, that can be an issue because the way he has a tendency to disappear. It's, this is a really, really strange group of pass catchers. 
Yeah, it is. I'm not, I'm not sure where the fantasy value is in this, in this Cleveland offense anymore. It seems uh, to, to have That's taken a, a dark turn. It's in the Browns D slash ST. That's right. That's, That's right. You're, you're correct about never that. Never owned. Never owned. All right. On to your next game, Pat. Uh, the Bears defeat the Raiders 30 to 12 with Tyson Bajant leading, leading the way with 162 yards on 29 attempts. He's through one touchdown. He was only sacked once, which is very different than, uh, Justin Fields in this in this same role. I guess the the highlight, the only real highlight of this game was Deontay Foreman getting the leading leading the team in carries with 16, uh, goes for 89 yards, a very workmanlike 89 yards, uh, including a, a two touchdowns, and then he scored another touchdown through the air on three catches for 31 yards. So I guess whoever gets this lead back role for the Bears can be pretty uh, pretty good for fantasy, huh? Yeah, we've got the ultimate hide the quarterback offense. Even though it's a bad is a badgent. What what is that? Oh, listen, I I have confirmation on this, and I wanted to share it with you before the show, and I'm sorry I didn't. It's it's Bajent. Man, what an awful pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Bajent, yeah, as you can say, I was listening to the game real close. I never once like yeah. picked up how they were saying his name. Uh, Bajent getting the ball out quickly really never came particularly close to committing a turnover. Like you said, only took one sack, no small feat for an undrafted rookie facing Max Crosby. Like it was the classic. The coaches did not want him to lose the game. And he very much did not do that enough, like move the chains completions when he needed them eight for 54 to DJ Moore. You know, disappointing day. I mean, 54 yards and eight catches, especially for players explosive as DJ Moore has been this year. Disappointing. That did keep the PPR boats afloat. And he just he didn't need to do more. The the run game was road paving. Like you said, three touchdowns for Deontay Foreman. He only outcarried Darrington Darrington Evans 16 to 14, but Foreman got shaken up a little bit in the second half. He wasn't announced as an injury, but he was kind of in and out. And the game just wasn't close. So Darrington Evans got a lot of the closeout work. That's why the carries don't appear nearly as lopsided as they were yeah. early in the game. And is this it's weird this game was not competitive and i know the, the raiders are starting brian hoyer but a really really bad bad embarrassing but, loss for the raiders yeah but but the bears are starting uh a d2 rookie who again i you've everyone has probably seen the meme by now but it's not a meme that he got destroyed wrecked by the Colorado School of Mines and his final college start. Oh, that's a real thing? That's a real thing. Not that's that actually is a real thing. I thought yeah. Kyle was messing with us the other no, no, day no. on the podcast. No, no. Colorado Colorado School of Mines had T- Tyson Bajan's number in his oh final D2 start. And uh, yet, yet the Raiders Daniels. yet the Raiders couldn't uh, couldn't do much against him. That's no, so curious. No, it was again. They never even they never made him uncomfortable. It was crazy. Wow. Like, like this guy got like Bill Belichick. Like I know Bill's like kind of lost his fastball. Like Tyson Bajan would have been like like surrender like hailing Satan by the end of the game. Like anything to get him off the field. <laughs> and Josh Jeez. McDaniels instead just a very uh, uncomfortable uh, first start for the for the young man. I know we talked about we talked about DJ Moore on Thursday's show, and I was like, you know, he's off the radar, uh, fancy radar. You were correct on that. Nine targets, he caught eight for fifty-four, so like a perfectly fine day for DJ Moore, considering the circumstances. 
it seems like this team, you know, knows what they have and more like he's our only pass catching option. Let's just force feed him the ball. And yes, very, very smart approach. Cole commit, by the way, uh, not targeted, not targeted. Commit nation is in shambles. We are are in shambles. (laughs) (laughs) Not targeted. What? Not targeted. We are in uh, absolute shambles. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to hold a press conference or something. (laughs) Good lord. All right, Uh, Raiders. Devontae seven for fifty-seven. 12 targets. One of those was an end zone. He totally roasted the DB, put him on skates. Then Brian Hoyer just couldn't make the throw. Jacoby Myers, seven for 50. He got a touchdown, but it was from AOC, not to get political. Aiden O'Connell, the uh, number two quarterback, deep into garbage time. His own drive, he immediately engineered a touchdown drive. Uh, Really, really good uh, validation of Josh McDaniels' decision there to start Brian Hoyer. And Josh Jacobs, 11 carries, 35 yards. Uh, Josh Jacobs has yet to average more than 3.6 yards per carry in any one of his seven appearances. I don't like that. Uh, Under 3.0 on the season on 118 carries. Uh, Signs of hope. Not, not. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is coming back for week eight. And I believe it's the Seahawks uh, uh, soft matchup. Uh, so the sh- life should return to normal for Devonta Adams and Jacoby Myers. But, Ooh, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. You're, you're saying Seahawks are so- Seahawks will eat this team alive. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what's the deal with their defense this year? I thought they've been kind of a sprung. Well, they're, they're healthy now. So they, they are, they are much better. Uh, uh, by the way, 25 combined targets. By the way, it's, my- the, it's the lions anyway. Oh, okay. The well, yeah, sorry. I'm going to lose by a hundred. Uh, same difference. Uh, 25 combined targets for Myers and Adams. For 107 yards. Yeah, so, very, very bad. That's uh, um, that's not not the best thing I've heard. Uh, I know Josh Jacobs had a touchdown called back in this one, right? He did. Well, I, I don't remember what it was the deal. He had one. T- it was in the receiving game. It went, like went off yeah, his hands. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember if he caught it, but yeah, it so, didn't count. Oh, oh, and then I, yeah. Oh, and then we have uh, Michael Mayer season did not come to be in this one. Uh, two catches on four targets for 13 yards. Austin Hooper. Uh, caught both of his targets for 18 yards. I mean, but I, I do think maybe folks are getting a little too excited. My, Michael Mayer is a strictly touchdown-dependent fantasy option, no matter what. He he could start compiling eventually in an offense that does not have a clear number three target. Josh Jacobs isn't even really doing that this year. No third receiver doing anything of note. So I, I could see him, Mayer kind of hanging around and becoming viable, but... Jimmy Garoppolo is going to miss more time. Everyone knows that. Two just target hogs and Jacoby Myers and Devontae Adams. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if people have to start dropping Michael Mayer as soon as they added him. Yeah, I, I think that that's called for. Do, look, he's the third option in a horrible offense. Like, I, I, I just don't know where the upside is, if at all. Denny is the first option in our hearts. Um, thank you so much for joining us off the jump tonight, Denny. We'll talk to you later this week. All right. Thanks, Pat. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? 
These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. We now welcome in Kyle Dvorak, but first, don't forget that basketball season in here, but there's still time to squeeze in your fantasy drafts, get the Roto World Basketball Draft Guide, which includes all the rankings, player outlooks, and projections you need to win your league. Go to NBCSports.com to get your draft guide now. Use promo code PRESEASON25 to save 25% off and receive a $10 Fanatics e-gift card. Kyle, I'm drafting on Monday night, and I don't know anything, so I'll be using the Roto World Basketball Draft Guide. Really, really hope it leads me to victory. You know who got led to victory on Sunday? The oh. New England Patriots. 29 to 25 over the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are stuck in hell after barely beating the Giants. Now they're losing to Mac Jones. Bills fans are melting down. Uh, I had lot, lots of anecdotal evidence of Bills fans melting down on Sunday. Several texts I was receiving from people. Uh, just what is going on with this Bills offense? Uh, it was been almost like non-functional the past week that's a little strong obviously but not humming the way it had been coming into week six when the giants started to slow down the machine what is going on yeah i mean 25 points against new england is not nothing what like two games in a row new england was held to like a grand total of something like three points i think so for a lot of times this turns out to be a successful game but the patriots were a competent team and this i mean they're more than a competent team they were a solid team in this game and this is just not enough i think the most obvious sort of point to look at is josh allen i, I think simply just played an off game it wasn't disastrous from him but you got bad vibes right off the start when the very first play of the bills on offense is a very bad josh allen interception he stares down dawson knox right from the moment the snap is and throws easy interception to Jabril Peppers. Peppers probably was looking at uh, Allen's eyes, took it right away. And after that, there was a deep, maybe 75 yards is an exaggeration. I really don't think it's that much of an exaggeration throw throw that would have been for a touchdown to Stephon Diggs. That one didn't come through either. That was overthrown. And then Diggs makes an incredible play near the end of the game. He slides like a baseball player sliding into home plate catches the pass, gets up, scores a touchdown. Then the very next drive, it's, you know, I think there's 15 seconds on the clock. He has a chance to make another long catch that would have set up at least a chance to, to pull into a tie. I think they would have been a tied score. Actually, no, they would have needed a touchdown. So at least gives them a chance to get a real playoff at the end, not some like hook and ladder nonsense. He just drops it. So every turn Man. he went to is Allen makes a bet. A lot of it was Allen because Diggs made some really nice plays. Allen overthrow, Allen underthrow the interception, and then they got a lot of pressure. It was like straight up the middle pressure that really rattled Allen on a few of these plays. And then finally, Diggs seemingly saves the day, won the Patriots score right after that. And then I don't say he blows it, but bad drop from Diggs at the end. It just seemed incoherent, the offense, to some degree. Well, I feel like that's been an ongoing problem for them is that beyond Josh Allen hero ball and Stefan Diggs being an all-pro, like when they really need some sort of second option, there is nothing there. They can't count on the run game. They can't count on any other passing game weapon. I say that as Dalton Kincaid, the first-round pick, finally had by far the best game of his young NFL career, eight catches for 75 yards, eight of eight, uh, did, converted all eight of his targets. 
was it as good of a performance as it looks in the box score? Was there something deceiving here? Or was it just finally a talented young player uh, maybe getting a season on track? Yeah, I mean, this was a legit performance from him. He, I think, finally started to live up to the billing of that extra receiver. But I will say, when you look at the box score, you're like, okay, so they had Stephon Diggs, underwhelming performance, but still six for 58 and one. And then Dalton Kincaid, most teams are not trying to live off of their bread and butter being one really good receiver and a tight end. They needed the plan for Dalton Kincaid was not for him to just be an extra receiver. It's that Dawson Knox supposedly would still be productive. And then you add Dalton Kincaid as the receiver. But what they essentially do in this game, and what I think, I mean, has to make sense because I don't think Knox is really that productive or talented of a player, is he just comes in as a productive tight end. He fills that slot and Dawson Knox just fades in the background. That still leaves them with like two viable weapons in this game. Gabe Davis did really nothing. And I think Davis is probably more fit to be a team's third receiver than their t- a team's second receiver. He is. So, he should be a role-playing right? number three receiver, and he'd be a very good one, but he is miscast as the number two. And instead, they're trying to do like 11.5 personnel, as they call it, but when you don't get anything out of Knox, you should probably just run 11 personnel, but that still leaves you with, do we have Khalil Shakir, who popped up like four catches in this game? I don't think you have more than one catch in any other game. Do you use Deontay Hardy? So I think this team is still missing that extra weapon. And really, Kincaid is they just are. filling in for when they were down like two weapons because Knox doesn't do anything. There's any like truly like difference-making receivers available at the trade deadline. The Bills should be one of the teams in the mix. It seemed like they were in the mix over the summer, and they just struck out. And it, it's weird to say when a team has Stefan Diggs, but they just really, really need it. They need some sort of plan B beyond Allen hero ball and like Allen digs mind meld. And I feel like it's just going to be an issue that continues to pop up over and over again. The Patriots, no Juju Smith Schuster. Not that that's really a, a big deal at this point, but second straight week where Kendrick Bourne was the clear number one, number one receiver. I say clear. He only had seven targets, but he, he led in receptions. He led or t- tied the lead in receptions, led in receiving yards. He got the touchdown is there finally like a wide receiver three being born here in fantasy? No pun intended. <laughs> uh, he seems like he's deserved this work. He, he's a guy. He was one of the original dog levels guy. Like he's a really gritty player. He's a touchdown scorer. He's a compiler. Is there something happening here finally with Kendrick Bourne, or is this just two games statistical noise? No, I mean, we saw this early in the year, too. I think he opened the season with a 10-catch game, if I remember correctly. Then shortly after that, Devontae Parker comes back, and you know they're paying Parker a decent amount of money. So they're like, all right, let's go trot him out there and try and scheme him up 50-50 balls from Mac Jones. Great plan. It doesn't work. And then I think they slowly start to realize that. They should have realized it after a few snaps. It takes them maybe a few weeks to realize that. And over the past few weeks, as you pointed out, Bourne coming back to life as he was in that first game, I think they've fully committed to the idea idea that Bourne is clearly the top receiver. I hope they come to that realization with uh, Demario Douglas, who I think for my money is just a significantly better slot option than what Juju Smith-Schuster can offer them. And really, it's sort of like the Devontae Parker injury. It takes a external circumstance for them to actually realize and implement that. But maybe this game was enough to show them that because Mario Douglas also looks like he has some juice, Where whereas we just Juju just doesn't have that anymore. He no. should be a rotational fourth receiver for this team. They're paying him like he could be a one B type of player and money be damned. This should be Demario Douglas's job. It's just, we're not trying to be haters with Juju, but his legs are just gone. It's mm-hmm. unfortunate. He's, he's going to end up like a pretty sad, like what might've been career, but just too many leg injury and like it's, development got stalled. I feel like by those weird Steelers offenses and just Juju's going to be a guy. 
I feel just he's gonna be a what might have been. Uh, real, real quick, Mac Jones, uh, they look as good as this box score 25 of 30, 272, two touchdowns, or just kind of a lucky day for a not very great player right now. It's probably not quite as good as the box score indicates. That final drive, we I think it opened up with like a 30 some yard Ramondre Stevenson catch, and uh, I mean. He, I will, to his credit, though, he distributed well. We've seen just an insane amount of egregious Mac Jones mistakes. Like, he, he's a player where you look at him, you're like, all right, well, if you're a good distributor, I understand why he's not, not succeeding. He's not really surrounded by weapons. But then he doesn't even do the distributor thing really well. He throws terrible interceptions, like, across his body, across the field. And you're like, you can't distribute. You can't elevate the players around you. And you make mistakes. That's all of a problem. He actually, one, he did kind of elevate the players around him. I'd say they also kind of elevated him, but they worked well together to say the least. And he didn't make the mistakes. He took one sack, no interceptions. If we got this version of Mac Jones week in and week out, this would be a pretty successful team. They'd probably be sitting right around 500. Do I think he can sustain this? The way he's played this year tells me that he is more, he's obviously more mistake prone than no interceptions, one sack. Maybe those games were a bit of an outlier because two years, well, almost like three years ago now in his rookie season, he was kind of that distributor level guy, especially when their defense was that good. That I remember that year, I believe was the year where they could not stop scoring defensive touchdowns every week in fantasy or like they can't keep getting away with it. If you put him in a good environment where they can run the ball well, when they have a good defense, he's, he can succeed. And I think we'll see more of that going forward. But I just mean he's not going to get like pick six every week. I still don't think he's the future of this franchise. I think the Patriots two and five. I think they're going to look back and really, really regret losing that Raiders game. Not that this is a playoff team, but they might have been able to convince themselves that they had a shot at the playoffs late into the season. That's going to be pretty hard sitting at two and five after that loss to the Raiders. By the way, you mentioned the baseball slide. I totally forgot about the ALCS tonight. Uh, one to oh, one. really? <laughs> one to one in the third inning. It'll, the game will be over by the time you're listening. So totally, totally pointless update. That closes the book on the Bills and Patriots. That brings us to the Rams and Steelers. I wanted to pick the Steelers in my confidence points pools. I did not have enough confidence in doing so. It seemed like the classic kind of game Mike Tomlin was going to win, and of course they did. 24-17 in LA. I'm sure it was kind of a pseudo Steelers home game. Have to they even mentioned that on the broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was the Jalen Warren touchdown, and they were like, oh, the crowd kind of sounds like a home game after Warren punches yeah, that one uh-huh. in. So it was readily apparent that uh, you made fun of the Rams home field quote home field on the Thursday preview show. You're right. Not only do the Pits, do, do the Rams not have a strong fan base in that stadium, Pittsburgh travels well. So yeah, well, they travel well, and probably just a lot of like native Los Angeles. Yeah. Transplants. They, to, they didn't have a team. All right, they didn't have a team for 30 years. The Steelers were good for a lot of that time. Steelers kind of a national fan base. So yeah, uh, right, let's start with the Rams backfield. Daryl Henderson got the start. Kind of a timeshare, though, with Royce Freeman and uh, Zach Evans, nowhere to be did found. Did not play a snap. Did not play thankfully, a snap on Thankfully, we had that pregame report. Schefter so clutch on that. Schefter really helped a lot of people out. because there, uh, there were some reports like, oh, they'll use a committee. Uh, McVeigh spoke very highly of Henderson sometime in the middle of the week during a presser, saying just really likes working with him. Easy for him, obviously, to pick up the system, having played with the team before. And then Schefter comes in this morning or, you know, late last night, whatever, and says it's a two backfield or two, two man backfield. Zach Evans is a clear backup. He was a hundred percent. Right. And I'd say it was a kind of a clear one, a one B 
situation situation in the backfield. Dara Henderson out carrying Royce Freeman 18 to 12. He out snapped him fairly cleanly as well. And he saw two targets. Royce Freeman didn't have a catch. So, I mean, it is definitely a committee, but we also have Miles Gaskin, who was reported to uh, be active for next week, which is week eight versus the Cowboys. He just didn't have time to get up to speed because he actually doesn't know the playbook, whereas Henderson played under McVay last year. So I'd be curious. I think Royce Freeman was a practice squad call up, as was Daryl Henderson. They would revert back, assuming they weren't signed to the 53. But Zach Evans was the clear like he wasn't the RB3. He did not play. He was functionally not a part of the roster. I'll be very curious to see if, even though he is the one who is actually on the 53, are they healthy scratching him for Miles Gaskin? He's not playing. I thought that to be that found that to be excessive. We talk about sometimes like just because someone comes <laughs> into a punitive. game, but because sometimes someone comes into the game after someone gets hurt, doesn't mean they'll be the guy the following week. But like, why was Zach Evans on the roster? Yeah, if, like he wasn't going to be the guy when someone got hurt, where you have to like promote a practice squad guy and then just sign someone off the street. It seemed very, very excessive for him to have zero touches. But yeah, you just kind of laid it out. Basically, we don't entirely know what we're going to get from this Rams backfield. I think Gaskin would be likely to take either Freeman's spot on the roster or more so his touches. Henderson played well, and McVay was really sort of glowingly talking about him. He just likes working with him, and he knows the system. He played well in it this week, and he can handle the touches. So I think it would be, I'm not starting Freeman next week for the Gaskin fear. And Henderson, I think, is a fine RB3-ish start. Before we move on to the Steelers, a few more interesting things to talk about the Steelers, but Puka Nakua, eight catches, 154 yards. Cooper Cup, his first quiet game since returning, two catches for 29 yards. Is it as simple as saying that it's proving what we kind of thought all along? They now have two number one receivers. They're usually going to both have good days, but maybe any given week, we're not going to be entirely sure which of them dominates targets. And it was Cooper Cup the first two games he was back. Very, very much Puka Nakua. Do we, do we have anything intelligent to tell people beyond that? Or are we still just kind of waiting for more information and more usage patterns out of Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup? No, I think you laid it out well in the, the sort of first half. I don't think we need to wait anymore. Uh, I mean, we're going to see this will, barring an injury, hopefully not be one of the best. I, mean, I think it's on pace to be the best receiving yard season by a rookie ever. Just him and Jamar Chase with over 700 yards in their first seven games. He's on pace like literally shocking. Yeah, he's, he's on pace for 18 hundred yards and change obviously that pace comes down a little bit with cooper cup in the lineup but like you know 150 some odd yards in this game and then in the first cooper cup game back had a really good game too and like a target share north of 30 percent. they just have two wide receiver ones and in a performance where stafford doesn't have his best outing i think mcveigh called a really poor game in this one i can talk about that in a second but stafford just statistically throws for 231 there's not a ton to go around in that type of environment Two wide receiver ones is ultimately going to produce like one wide receiver one, or maybe they both come in with more like 60, 70 yard games. But in any game where Stafford, who entered the week top three in passing yards, any week where he puts up those kinds of numbers, they actually may have two fantasy wide receiver ones and they have two wide receiver ones by usage. So you're starting both of them. I'm ranking them both top 12. And like in the right matchup, I can probably push that to like top 10 because this offense just does not have a single other pass catching no. option. There is no other guy. And that's perfect for, for fantasy. Uh, by the way, Puka Nakua, 752 yards through seven games. Uh, pretty amazing. Matthew Stafford, yeah, 14 completions. Did have 231 yards at least. So we, at least, we got a usable box score out of one pass catcher. But what did he just get Mike Tomlin? What happened here with Matthew Stafford? Uh, we're had entered the week, I think, top two or three in raw passing yardage. Yep, he was number three, I believe, in something like 17, 18, if you guys are tied in that range in touchdowns, and we didn't really get much of that uh, regression this week. Yeah, the regression not hitting. 
Not uh, in yet. Not, not in inning. No. We're still no. waiting on the numbers to figure this one yeah. out. I, I thought McVay, I mean, yeah, I do think the, the Steelers defense played well this game, but I thought McVay called a really oddly poor game with a ton of first down running. They had something like 65 to 70% of their first downs were runs. They would even double down on them with like second and seven, second and eight runs. It wasn't dreadfully inefficient. They averaged something like four yards a carry, and Stafford didn't throw the ball super well on first down either. It was a lot of like shot to Puka Nakua. That works. Other plays, none of them work. So maybe he, you know, was sort of feeling out the game and realizing he could safely pick up four yards on first down, but that's not really the goal. Like you can average no. a lot more passing. So I thought it was kind of insane for him in a game where I guess you could say they were, you know, tied or winning for most of the game. I think up until seven minutes and 20 seconds, they never played from behind. He just wasn't sort of respecting the Steelers offense, which like I talked about with the Bills, you know, you would have been right in not respecting your opponent's offense up until this point. But I think that's a, a scared way to play. And I think he did call it a relatively scared game saying we're only going to throw it or at least we are going to majority throw it on third and medium to long. And that's not a recipe for success. I, I think this was a particularly uh, egregious game from McVay. And it shows up in that Stafford really struggled. They actually did all right on some third downs. But uh, when you bank everything on like we need a 15 yard play on third down, you're going to come up, you know, you're going to come up tails more often than you want to. Yeah. Underestimating the Steelers has kind of become the ultimate, but it True. might work for us. <laughs> uh, and it never, ever, ever does. Cause they, they also just... missed two, two field goals, an extra point. Like that's seven points right there. That could have been the difference, but As again, you know, have, me, have me down I ferocious know. in my distance scoring league. Brett Maher, Brett Maher had two chances. I think at 50 yarders that uh, could have gotten you a lot of points and missed the, the 18. Not a joke. Sorry. Uh, we're down. Just absolutely horrendous after those misses. Uh, Deontay Johnson back for the Steelers, only six targets, five catches for 79 yards. George Pickens somewhat surprisingly still led the receiver core hundred yard day led with eight targets. Uh, what, what's the mix look like with Deontay back and George Pickens, who we were kind of like already writing off mm -hmm. like, all right, the, the real compilers back. It's too hard for Kenny Pickett to, to get the ball to George Pickens. What do we tell people now about how the Steelers receiver core is looking? I think it kind of depends on how you interpret this game or at least how, how predictive you find this game. Cause Kenny Pickett played a good game. He didn't make mistakes. He distributed the ball well. And uh, I, he pushed the ball downfield. I talk about like Mac Jones being a distributor. This was less distribution in that he also did push the ball downfield. And obviously that works through Pickens more so than any other player. Do I think he can keep that up? He's been really inaccurate. He struggled to start the season. I do think this is a good sign though. Target earning is also a skill and whether or not I think Pickett can keep it up doesn't have a major effect on whether I think Pickens can keep earning targets. This is also a situation where without Pat Fryermuth, who's on IR, they could really just funnel down to two players. They don't have a pass catching tight end and they, their third receiver is Allen Robinson. So I actually think that could be sort of a big win for the pet or at least the pass catchers in fantasy we care about in that they have one guy who moves the chains 10 plus yards downfield. And then everything below that outside of running back targets is Deontay Johnson. That's a setup that can work outside of the, the Kenny Pickett struggles. That's a really, really good point. Could be a really narrow, predictable offense. And maybe we might actually get some not usable in fantasy, but usable in real life stretch of football out of Kenny Pickett, who he hasn't he hasn't been taking a step forward this year, but he has not had his pseudo number one receiver in Deontay Johnson. And now he does the final game we're gonna talk about. You and I did not see this game, kind of a podcast oversight. Mr. Anthony Costa covered this game for the site, unavailable for the podcast. So we did not lay eyes on Falcons 16 bucks 13. But brother, uh, we read a lot of tweets about Bijan <laughs> and uh, one carry 
and came with the game tied in the dying minutes of the game. And we're wondering all afternoon what the heck happened. It appears that he was suffering like a debilitating headache. Yeah, really, really odd stuff because you're supposed to update. If someone's status changes, you're supposed to update the injury report. There was no update of Bijan dealing with an illness Sunday morning. And we were just left all afternoon like wondering, like, what the hell is going on with Bijan Robinson? Has there been any update or is it the man had a headache? Not to, I get headaches sometimes. They are very, very not fun. Uh, but anything more to it than that that we've seen or just like the worst fantasy bad beat of all time with Bijan? Yeah, that's so far all I've seen on the newswire is that it was just a headache. I mean, obviously, like we see illness and it could be a stomach bug, could be a number of things. Seems like headache. I wouldn't be shocked if they're doing concussion testing on him because headaches are concussion symptoms. So we'll see about that. Could have gotten banged up in practice and getting these sort of showing up symptoms. But then they gave him a carry with a minute. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Everything about it was so ridiculously weird. The late game carry is insane. It's very reasonable to say like this guy is not in a position where like we think he can play, but we have the roster space for him. And if Tyler Algier and CPAT both get hurt, it can't hurt to have him on the roster, but then to throw him out there at the end of the game for one carry. No sense. I don't think made a lot of sense. uh, Almost literally the most important carry of the game. Like, I mean, it's very possible that, as you know, as I mentioned, like, oh, if you need him in terms of injury, could also be that, oh, if you need your best player, your best offensive player on the field, and you're going to say three, five snaps, save it for the end when you might actually be gambling it all on one running back. And he's, he's the best running back they have. He's one of the best running backs in the league. So maybe that's the argument for it. I'd have to imagine that unless we find out something or unless, you know, Arthur Smith tells us something that he'll be back to normal relatively soon. But, I mean, that's just pure speculation. We'll just have to wait and see. We will just have to wait and see. Don't have to wait and see on Kyle Pitts' box score. Three catches, 47 yards, kind of coming back down to earth. Uh, not sinking as low as he sank, though, but you know, had seven catches for 87 yards, in, I believe, in London two weeks ago. Then he had the touchdown last week. Have you seen anything of the data yet? On I, He played to a production standstill once again with Jonu Smith. Is there anything new to tell people on Kyle Pitts or just the same old frustration, like, yeah, we, we at least know pop-up games are possible, but we also know three for a scoreless 47 is all too possible. Yeah, I think that's just the baseline with Kyle Pitts. He didn't have an elite target share in this game, uh, but I'd imagine, depending on what this uh, 39-yard catch looked like, probably another good air yards game. I think the one thing maybe to point out is that this team ran the ball 38 times and passed 25 times in a game where they narrowly escaped with a win. I believe this is another uh, Young Way coup Walk off field goal? Or get, I don't know. It was. It was. He he got the the rock star treatment. He was put up on someone's shoulders at the end of the game. Yeah, and they had that. Was that last week or two weeks ago? Another like walk off young Waku touchdown. Uh, it was one of the past two weeks. He got another game winner. Point being, this game was extremely close, wall to wall. Uh, yeah, extremely close to the wall, and yet they just pounded the rock. And they also had, without their, what, number eight overall pick running back, essentially, yes. I'll say without him, they didn't have him, and they still pounded the rock. We talked about on the Thursday preview show that Arthur Smith was capitulating a little bit and that he was pushing his, like, record-setting pass rate under expected, essentially, to just, like, average run-heavy team, just your run-of-the-mill run-heavy team. I'd be shocked if this wasn't like a minus 20% pass rate over expected and probably something we should consider more when looking at a two game sample of Arthur Smith that yes. sure, in a given circumstance, he may decide that they can play still run heavy. The thing is over the past two weeks, they were still run heavy, just your average run heavy team, not your Arthur Smith run heavy team. That if that's sort of the ceiling we can aspire to, there are going to be floor games like this and probably more so floor games like this 
than any other team where they just completely take the air out of the football. So I, I think we probably gave Arthur Smith too much credit in evolving, whereas really circumstances led him to pass slightly more. He is still the same coach we've always expected him to be. I totally agree. And it has me wondering what in the world to do with Drake London. They do at least get the pass funnel Titans next Sunday. So could be having an interesting conversation. It's a good test for him, yeah. It is. Just to wrap up, put a bow in this game. Three lost fumbles for Desmond Ritter, including one that should have been a touchdown that he fumbled out of the end zone. A very, very bad play. Total status quo in the Bucks box scores. Six for 82 and a touchdown for Mike Evans. Six for a scoreless 66 for Chris Godwin. There's nothing doing on the ground. Baker Mayfield playing better than he has the past few years, but not really elevating anybody. Uh, so yeah, just real status quo on that Bucks side. Uh, Kyle. Never status quo, Kyle. Oh, lots of really, really good stuff. Thank you so much. He won't be here for the our chat, though, on Monday. I'm very upset with him about that. Uh, he'll be back the following week, and he'll be here on the Thursday preview show. Kyle. Waiver wire column will be up tomorrow morning as well. Kyle, thank you so much. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics, because that's who we are. We are now joined by Eric Samalski, who had the Seahawks as 20 to 10 victory over the Cardinals. Looks fairly close there on the page, and it was a pretty close game. A strange game. No DK Metcalf, who'd been on the injury report all year. Seemingly like two or three different injuries. I kind of had just made a habit of assuming he would play. And I didn't take seriously like the possibility that he might not play until real late in the week. He did not play. That gave hope to the Jackson Smith and Jigba truthers of the world out there. Uh, four catches for 63 yards and a touchdown, but I also see a young man by the name of Jake Bobo with an yes. identical stat line. What was going on in the Seahawks receiver core without we DK love, Metcalf? We love Jake Bobo. This is a, a, a Jake Bobo friendly place. Um, yeah, listen, DK Metcalf's first career missed game, so it's understandable wow. that you thought he would just be out there. Um, and I think, you know, that hangs over all of the wide receiver analysis I'm about to do, which is. Uh, it's very likely DK Metcalf is back next week. Um, and then so we're right back to where we were before. But, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba came out of the bye playing more snaps, running more routes. The production wasn't there as much last week because obviously Metcalf and Lockett were there. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba did catch four passes for 63 yards and a touchdown all in the first half. Um, he saw one target in the second half. It was a drop. Um, on a third and seven on the final drive. Um, and Jake Bobo, as you pointed out, had four catches for 61 yards and a touchdown. Um, and his one touchdown catch was incredibly impressive, toe-tapping uh, touchdown, go leaping over a defender. Um, and I just think like, you know, 
there was the joke about this was going to be the Jake Bobo week because everybody wanted it to be the Jackson Smith and Jigba week, and they were both solid. Um, you know, they were both pretty good. Jackson Smith and Jigba um, led the Seahawks in targets. Um, he was open far more over the middle of the field, you know, which is understandable as a primarily like slot receiver. And Bobo was doing a lot more of like the, you know, down the sideline deeper um, plays. But listen, Bobo's a big dude. He's six four. He has good hands, good body control. Like he caught a third and six on the, the drive where the Seahawks were trying to ice the game at the end, you know. In traffic over the middle, Gino tried to like you know rope it into him. The Gino well, one Gino Smith interception he tried to force to Jake Bobo. So like there's some trust there. Um, I don't think either one of these guys is going to be consistent enough when DK and Lockett are are back. Um, they're both incredibly talented, and Jackson Smith and Jigma might you know pop off for a really good game here or there. But we've just seen like when Lockett and DK are out there, they're gonna. They, they produce. And I really think Lockett was hurt today because there was no Metcalf. Like he had four catches for 38 yards on five targets. His long of the day was 15 yards. They just weren't able to push the ball down the field. And the Cardinals were really shading coverage toward Tyler Lockett, which is why you saw the two rookies have better days. Um, so I think Lockett benefits from having DK on the field to take that attention away. And next week against the Browns, we should probably see that back. Very viable. He was also maybe literally hurt playing for the. Yeah, he was not. Yeah, he was not. I mean, he didn't come into the game 100%. I will say that on the routes you saw him targeted, you didn't see anything noticeable. But that also could be, you know, part of the reason he wasn't getting open deep. Couldn't, could be not just coverage, but could be something limited to him. But listen, Geno Smith was 18 of 24 for 219 yards, right? It was, it was a very much like a game manager type of, of day. Kenneth Walker had 26 carries. Um, you know, they, they had three turnovers. The Seahawks did um, one on a punt return from DJ Dallas. And then Gino, uh, Gino fumbled a snap and Gino also threw an interception. So that's why you, the offense kind of just did nothing in the second half. Like they, you know, they, they were stagnant. Um, they went three and out. They fumbled pick. Um, so it looks like it was going to be a much better game in the first half. And also like these turnovers by Gino were when the Seahawks were only up seven. Um, and we, we joked about this, but on the, on the slack, but like the Cardinals were down by seven with five minutes left in the game with fourth and seven at the 50 yard line. Oh, yeah. And they ran a fake punt with Clayton Tune on the field where they just motioned him into shotgun. So it was just like a regular <laughs> shotgun snap. And the, Seah- the, Seahawks defense, the Seahawks defense just like went into coverage and he threw like a four yard out and they they didn't convert. And the Seahawks went and they did nothing on offense, but they had such good field position. They were able to kick a field goal and go up by 10. And it was like the most ridiculous decision I've ever seen in a game where you're, you're in the game. Like the the Cardinals were in this game. It was wild to me. Hey, I had ordered everyone not to make me laugh tonight. Yeah, so I'm still recovering. Jonathan Gannon. Jonathan, I can't, you know, I, 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 I still know. need to look this, this play you were not the only person to. I've seen several people tweet about what a bizarre play this was. It was and, it was a uh, Joe is terrible. Um, and I will say the only other thing of note with the Seahawks offense is like Kenneth Walker jukes more defenders on three yard runs than maybe any running back <laughs> in the NFL. Um, and this is like you know take take it with a grain of salt, but like you know the. Pro Football Focus offensive line rankings, the Seahawks were 29th coming into today's game, and it looks like that. I mean, he and 
I don't say that to disparage Kenneth Walker. Like he looks good. He has quick feet. He like really can, he runs hard, but they're just defenders all over him. Like all the time. Um, he got stood up at the one yard line on back-to-back plays in the third, quite in the third quarter. Yeah. And that's, and listen, he had 105 yards on 26 carries. So that's, a fine game, but not great. But if that's 105 yards and a touchdown, you're feeling a lot different about it. But that's kind of the nature of Kenneth Walker right now. And that's why I think he's in that low end RB1, high end RB2, depending on matchup, because the usage is elite. Um, and the offensive line is terrible. But Gino, by the way, kind of a continuation of a recent trend of just regressing pretty majorly off his season. He's not totally face planted, he's not looking like he's a backup. But he's not looking like the Geno he was last year. Only, only seven touchdowns and six, seven passing touchdowns yeah. in six games. And we are getting a bit of a come back down to earth season for Geno Smith. Yeah. And I think, and the, the interception that he tried to force into Jake Bobo was when he was getting pressured and in the face of pressure, instead of throwing it away or running, he tried to, he tried to force a pass. So that offensive line issue, you know, carries over to the quarterback as well. Um, when he's facing pressure, not getting as much time in the pocket, you know, he's improvising in ways that aren't really conducive to success recently. Not as much to talk about on the Cardinals side, except for the, you were mentioning before the show started, the somewhat stunning return of Amari DiMercato. Yes. Yanti uh, Ingram, nowhere to be found. Damian Williams, sort of out there, but one or two touches. Amari DiMercato was the only show in town in the Cardinals' backfield. What the heck do you think this means? It, are these kind of experimenting every week? Is can we just say DeMarcado is the starter right now, or what do you think is going on in the Arizona backfield? Yeah, uh, nobody knows. Let's be serious. I mean, I can I'll give you some analysis right now, but no, nobody has any idea. I mean, the this is like the perfect example of why fantasy football makes you pull your hair out. Is you know DeMarcado was a uh, a pretty you know, a priority waiver pickup last week, even though everybody was like, it's the Cardinals. Nobody knows for sure, but he looked like he was going to be the guy or at least a split. And then it was Keontae Ingram who led the offense last week. And Keontae Ingram was, was fine last week. He had, you know, 10 carries for 40 yards, nothing really wrong. And then he, he didn't play a snap. He didn't play a snap. He didn't get a rush. So they saw Keontae Ingram produce better than Damian Williams and Amari DiMarcado last week on the box score. And it wasn't just a, a time share afterwards. It was just, he wasn't on the field. So, and DeMarcado looked pretty good in week five when he came in for James Connor. So why they decided last week to not use him and use Keonta Ingram to then just not use Keonta Ingram at all this week. Like maybe it had to do with matchup. Who knows? Um, he, he is the guy. I mean, he, you know, had five catches. He ran 28 routes. He had 13 carries to Damian Williams as one. Like to me, he's, he's the guy. Um, they play the Ravens and the Browns the next two games. And then Connor is eligible to come back. I don't know for sure. We don't know for sure if he is going to come back. I mean, I, we, we need to keep that in mind as we're listening to practice reports, but just, you know, listen, you want to bid on Amari DiMarcado because he looks like the starting running back, but he's the starting running back in a bad offense with two bad matchups. Who, and then may lose his job. So just keep that in mind, depending on how desperate you really are for a running back. It seems like weird usage from the Cardinals. My best guess is that they didn't want Keontae Ingram to lose his job because of his in, an injury. He had a neck injury, and maybe they just thought he was better than Amari DiMercato, so they went back to him last week, and maybe they just now have decided Amari DiMercato is better. 
and they are moving on from Keontae Ingram. Yeah. That, that's my best guess for what happened there. Uh, any takeaways with Josh Dobbs and this Cardinals offense where it's so hard for any of these pass catchers to s- sustain production? Marquise Brown is leading in targets every week, not really ever stuffing the box score, especially on Sunday, though, only three catches for 49 yards. Yeah, I, I mean, the takeaway is like Josh Dobbs has fantasy value in deeper and in two quarterback leagues because he's rushing. Um, you know, he had 43 yards and a touchdown on the ground today. So that, you know, makes him somewhat beneficial when he can do something through the air. He had, you know, 19 of 33 for 146 yards, no touchdowns. Um, the def- defense just aren't scared of him. Um, and that really kind of like limits any viability from the receivers. Uh, so I, I don't trust anybody. I will say that, you know, the thing, the the analytical aspect that looms over all of them is does Kyler Murray come back soon? You know, we know they opened up his practice window. Do these wide receivers have the same roles when Kyler Murray's back? Because then, okay, maybe I, I'll hold on to Hollywood Brown because he's, he's clearly the number one, right? And he's clearly the deep threat, which is a problem when Josh Dobbs is your quarterback because he's not beating anybody deep, but is different when Kyler Murray is your quarterback and right now like Michael Wilson is the clear number two he ran 55 uh he played 55 snaps ran 34 routes that's like just under what Marquise Brown is doing but he had only one target until this the two final drives of the game because there's just nothing happening in this Cardinals offense but I kind of if you're in a deep league I kind of like Michael Wilson as a bench stash because if he's going to be the wide receiver number two in the Cardinals a team that's still going to be trailing and throwing and Kyler Murray's going to be his quarterback and this guy's running you know 35 routes a game and he's shown that he can catch the football then that has some value excellent excellent stuff to end the hit on yeah very easy to forget i feel like the kyler murray is almost back and if he's not back this week that he basically has to be back in week nine because i don't think they're gonna let the practice window lapse without activating him i would assume not yeah he's almost there yeah there could be better days ahead for these cardinals pass catchers listen you've given me three cardinals games with josh dobbs at quarterback so that's accidental at least least one give me one Uh, when kyler murray comes back. that is not intentional (laughs) that that is truly not intentional Uh, but eric uh here you need some sleep go get some sleep thank you so much for joining us thank you we are now joined by aditya foldiore who had one of the most surprising games of sunday one of the games i was really looking forward to uh, the Lions looked like the real deal to me the first six weeks of the season. The Ravens were narrowly favored at home, but I was expecting basically anything other than what happened in this game, Adichie, which was a total Ravens beatdown, again, 38-6. to six. The first game of the season, Lamar Jackson's been providing top five or six fantasy returns, but that was without him having like one of his like patented nuclear days. He had a two, one or two, two rushing score days earlier in the season, but he had had nothing like he had Sunday through the air, 357 yards, 21 of 27, super efficient, three touchdowns, another rushing touchdown on the ground. Just how did the Ravens so thoroughly dismantle a Lions team that had looked like one of the three or four best in the league heading into week seven? Yeah, a lot of people had focus on the Lions offense and offensive coordinator Ben Johnson versus Ravens defense and defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, but people forgot the Ravens offense has Lamar Jackson. And yes, we did. <laughs> the we Lions, did. We the did. Lions were missing a couple of defensive players, Jerry Jacobs, who had three interceptions on the season, but 
not anything significant to warrant such a big beatdown like this. And the Ravens' uh, offensive line held up really well. Uh, the Lions couldn't get a whole lot of pressure going, and even when they could, Lamar was scrambling out of that pressure and extending plays, and the Lions just could not get to him. Uh, so it was a lot of Lamar using his legs to extend plays and then using patience to hit his targets. And he hit, I think, nine different receivers on the day. So a lot of usage out of that offense. Yeah, a lot, a lot of usage. And a kind of a weird, like, Ravens. So it was, it was weird. So we got all this Lamar passing production, but we still got the typical four catches for 75 yards from Zay Flowers. Mm-hmm. Kind of the typical four for 63 for Mark Andrews. Thankfully, that included two touchdowns. A better box score than we're used to seeing from Odell Beckham, five for 49, mm-hmm. two for 36. You were in our slack like, hey, Rashad Bateman's actually catching passes. Yep. But then those were the only two passes he caught. And a lot, 80 yard non touchdown Gus Edwards reception. That's like yeah. what was really like the cherry on top of Lamar's production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like Gus Edwards should have made it into the end zone on that Probably one. Should it, was, have. it was from the nine yard line, it would have been 91 yards, but. He he wasn't fast enough to outrun some defenders there. But, yeah, Rashad Bateman had a couple nice catches, showed some flashes of his yards after catch ability that he had last season. But he's still number three or number four in the pecking order in the Ravens offense behind Zay Flowers, Mark Andrews, Odell Beckham, and then it's Bateman or Aguilar on any other given week. So um, outside of Flowers and Andrews, probably not a whole lot of fantasy relevancy there. Odell Beckham's seeing a lot of usage, but – um, nothing there yet to make you confident to put him in lineups. No, yeah. It, it was the most productive game of the season, which tells you all you really need to know when five catches for 49 yards is his most productive overall game. And really hard to see what's going to change there. And if that's his production in a game where they score 38 points, it's just like, where's this next gear going to come from for Odell? So I totally agree. Uh, not that fantasy, not that's a contrarian opinion. I think people have probably already moved on from Odell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they score 38 points, it was kind of like now or never for Odell to do something. And he did not. Uh, the other side of the ball, the Ravens entered this game with really, really good stats against the pass. But I had kind of like not written them off, but I was very skeptical because it included C.J. Stroud's first ever start, mm-hmm. Joe Burrow playing on one leg, Gardner Minshew, DTR for the Browns, Kenny Pickett, so on and so forth. Not an imposing slate. So I thought the stats were lying a little bit. I thought Jared Goff can maybe have a usable game. And he had 284 yards, but it took 53 attempts. He took five sacks, uh, just assuming not a good day for the Lions. Pass. Even yeah. though Amon Ross St. Brown, thankfully, got home for us in fantasy. But yep. looks like a very, very poor day for the Lions passing attack. Yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown and Jameer Gibbs were the guys in garbage time from uh, Jared Goff checkdowns and stuff like that. So uh, definitely good for fantasy managers on that end. But from Jared Goff in particular, he threw one interception in the second half. And he also had a couple of fumbles that the Lions were able to recover. Otherwise, it could have been much worse for him. Um, But yeah, the Ravens secondary was definitely locking down receivers early. And the pass pass rush especially was hitting home on Goff, and uh, especially with those five sacks. So the Lions offense was not able to get anything going here, and it didn't help that uh, guys like Jamison Williams were dropping the ball. Even Amon I heard about that. Drops. Yeah, I heard Jamison Williams is continuing to leave up, live up to his reputation, basically, and uh, yeah. leaving some yards on the field. Were, were they pretty egregious drops? I take it. Was one of them maybe a touchdown? Yeah, one of 
the the first one that I thought was a notably egregious was one where the ball bounced off his face mask, but maybe the defender had his arm pinned, so maybe it's excusable there. But the next one was definitely one where he would have scored a touchdown, a little bit of a lower throw, but it would have been one of those patented 50-yard Jamison William touchdowns, but just nothing going right for the Lions offense today. going to go ahead and need Jamison to convert one of those ever. Um, got to do uh, one of those at some point, Jamison Williams, if you do not want to be a mega bust. We'll end by talking about the Lions backfield. No David Montgomery. I don't think we know his status for week eight yet. Jameer Gibbs, 11 carries, 68 yards. Had some serious juice. I believe it was touchdowns, I think almost 20 yards. Yeah. Wasn't like you said, nine catches, 58 yards. Did he look as good as this box score looks? Yeah, he showed burst for sure. He showed why the Lions wanted to pick him so high. Um, and he also showed why the Lions should probably use him more. He had a lot of burst on his runs, a 21-yard rushing touchdown where he was virtually untouched. Um, some of that could have been the Ravens kind of just uh, being a little bit lazier, being up 35 points at the time. But Jameer Gibbs was the lead back. Clearly, maybe some of that was Craig Reynolds coming into the game injured and the pass-heavy game script where Jameer Gibbs definitely benefits more with those nine catches um, heading into next week. I expect more of the same. Maybe we'll see more Craig Reynolds carries. He had three this game. Maybe we'll see a seven to eight, but I, I think Jameer Gibbs with David Montgomery out is going to be the lead back. Uh, you won't see anything like Craig Reynolds, 20 touches while Jameer Gibbs gets 10. And if he does, well, you can come back to this. <laughs> what you just said is that there is a God. We won't see that from Craig Reynolds. We'll see Jameer Gibbs. Like getting the work. Really, really good stuff as always from Aditya Foldiori. Uh, throw him a follow on the old Twitter or X or at ADI underscore FUL. Doing really, really good stuff for the site. Aditya, thank you so much for your time tonight. Yeah, thanks. We're now joined by Mr. Zach Kruger, who got his beloved commanders on Sunday falling just short to the New York Giants. I say that facetiously, of course. And then one of the games of the day, the Kansas City Chiefs outlasting the Los Angeles Chargers, and unfortunately for fantasy managers everywhere, really clamping down in the second half. We did not get the offensive fireworks we needed out of Chiefs Chargers. We'll begin with Giants Commanders, though. 21 total points in this game. Very, very low scoring. More of the same from Sam Howell. Six sacks, 22 of 42, no touchdowns. Uh, did at least have the, the dignity to get six, nine, six for 90 for Terry McLaurin. Now, we'll get to the Giants in a minute, but we, yeah, we'll start with the Commanders. You see a lot of commanders football. You read and write a lot about the commanders. Uh, just an offense going nowhere. What's going on with this commander's offense? Yeah, thank you for correcting yourself. I'm not a commander's fan, Pat. What I love about the commanders is the joy they provide me throughout the week because I listen to local radio tilt over this team that consistently underperforms expectations week in and week out, as we saw them do in this game. Uh, Sam Howe, as you mentioned, six sacks. Now, to the credit, I guess, perhaps of Eric Bieniemy, but I also think, you know, he was at fault for a lot of what we saw. Uh, Washington only got sacked once in the second half. So that was at least kind of encouraging. It, it kind of showed a little bit of adjustments in the in the second half. But Washington's offense was just completely out the first half in an overall embarrassing effort. I don't, I don't think they even quite got to 100 yards of scrimmage from the first half, uh, which is just absolutely dismal. At one point in time, it seemed like all they were doing was punting. I went back and looked at it. And on their first eight possessions, they went three and out on six of them. Uh, 
that wow. that is reportedly very not bad. Good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, they, they were three down on six of their first eight possessions in the first half, and then in one of those possessions ended an interception on the fourth play. So also not great. Um, and, and as a result, they were in catch-up mode, and they they had plenty of chances to come back in a game where they only gave up 14 points, but things just never quite broke right for them. They had a goal that was actually blocked uh, on a cowardly call by Ron Rivera, where it was like fourth and fourth down from like New York seven yard line or something like that. And they were down seven. They opted for the easy field goal for some reason that got blocked. Uh, John Dotson dropped the pass that would have converted a fourth down into a first and goal late in the game, uh, which gave Washington essentially a chance to possibly tie it four more downs, but that never came to fruition when, when Jahan Dotson dropped that pass. And uh, it's, this is an offense that to me just looks very out of sync. I, I never fully know what the place, where to place the blame as far as Sam Howell goes versus Eric Bieniemy versus the offensive line. The offensive line has graded a lot better on a week to week basis than what we saw last season. I would actually say this week the, the the blame was clearly more on the offensive line. I saw some numbers earlier that said uh, basically Sam Howell had about two point three seconds of the ball out and on uh, plays where he was sacked and washed and uh, I'm sorry New York's line. Was just bursting through Washington's for the first half. And really that Wink Martindale pressure was getting after Hal and confusing them for a lot uh, of the first half. So it, it's tough to know where to place the blame. I'd like to see Eric Benby find ways to get Hal the ball um, with, with some alternative options quicker. I said earlier that the, the sacks were kind of alleviated in the second half, but it just can't be a case where week in and week out, the first half is off the offense figuring out what to do and then trying to, you know, recover from whatever deficit they dug themselves in the first half because that's a lot of what it is is a lot of second half adjustments where they look better after some bad first halves yeah adjusting is good but you needed to have some production before you adjust adjusting is good what we need to do is we need to adjust before the last 30 minutes of the games Um, we must adjust must early one of the adjustments was apparently chris rodriguez uh, leading the backfield and at least production he didn't lead in carries we got seven carries to brian robinson's only eight chris rodriguez you don't know is a rookie Got a little steam over the summer, not as someone who was going to like threaten Brian Robinson's starting job, but as someone that the coaching staff seemed like they like, maybe to keep around dynasty leagues. Uh, why did Chris Rodriguez? Why did he lead the Commanders in rushing yards on Sunday? Uh, I mean, simply put, he he was a better back on a on a per carry basis. I think he had four and a half yards per carry to like Brian Robinson's three yards per carry. Uh, so so he outgained Robinson on a per touch basis. He did have a nine yard run to Robinson's six. Uh, but but Rodriguez was very weirdly involved in this and the commanders have done this a few times where it's like all of a sudden they sprinkle him in at fullback out of nowhere and he takes like a two-yard dive or something like that but this was the most action he's seen uh through the first seven weeks of the season i went back and looked at the snap counts for this game uh courtesy of pff and nathan janky thanks for doing the lord's work and giving us the snap counts <laughs> rodriguez Seriously. had Shout yeah. To Nathan. yeah, shout out to Nathan. Rodriguez had only nine snaps on the day, but he had seven carries. So when he was on the field, they were using him. And uh, to that effect, Antonio Gibson only had two carries for seven yards, and then uh, Gibson also had two catches for 24 yards. Gibson is a non-factor. I think he's I think he's worth a stash for deep leagues where maybe you're you know, holding on to him as a handcuff to Robinson perhaps. But Rob, Rodriguez and his usage – is puzzling, but then also concerning because of someone who has Brian Robinson and has seen him, you know, be a halfway decent lead back in games where Washington is winning. Whatever it is that, you know, Chris Rodriguez was out there doing this week makes me a little bit concerned heading into next week against the Eagles 
Um, and I'm not quite sure how I approach this backfield. I think Robinson will probably be a volume-based RB2 next week. Uh, I'm not fully ready to say it's over for him, but Rodriguez stepping in and having just one less carry than the Rob than Brian Robinson, who they drafted with the third-round pick last year, is, is at least a little bit concerning and something to watch. Very concerning. It's been three straight games where Brian Robinson has not had more than 10 carries. Four of the past five games where he's not had more and 10 carries and the past three games too it's been in different game scripts each week is what's really troubling or it just seems like man they've lost a little faith in him and he might be falling out of the top 24 Uh, lost faith and also i just think inefficient play and again no offensive identity for washington i mean which is somewhat understandable when like it's a guy like sam howe and you're just not even sure what to do with him but I, I agree. The, the commanders are a team where every week it's, you, there's the sense of offensive identity crisis is palpable. Yeah. I mean, for a game where they basically trailed and set by seven points through, through much of the second half, they never bothered to get back to the ground game. They only had like 19 rush attempts total in this game. They were never down by more than two scores. You can try to run the ball more if that's what you want to do. The giants have not been good on the ground defensively and it, it didn't matter. Washington aired out 42 times and, and Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes and Sam Howell continue to uh, both throw at absurd rates, except Sam Howell's not good at doing what Patrick Mahomes no, he's does. Not Patrick Mahomes. Eric Bieniemy is trying to replicate that sometimes, I think, and it's a little bit concerning. On the other side, is Tyrod Taylor just better than Daniel Jones? Are we, like, <laughs> are we just trying to make this a meme too quickly, or is it just because it's true? Is he better than Daniel Jones? Well, let me ask you this. Was Tyrod Taylor ever worse than Daniel Jones? Ooh, no. It's quite it's quite possible. <laughs> That's is, a really, uh, really interesting way to it, put it. Is no. I I I I've never thought Tyrod Taylor, since his days back in Buffalo, never a quarterback who set the world on fire, but never a guy who I thought was worthy of just being the backup that he consistently seemed to always fall his way into. Obviously, I know why he did it. Um, you know, he did it, it, it's job security, it's an ability to stick around in the league and certainly show what he's got when he gets out there. But Tyrod Taylor for back to back weeks has looked like a very competent, very good quarterback getting the ball out quickly. 279 yards on 29 attempts, um, two touchdowns in this one, no interceptions. Really would have liked to have seen more points from Taylor and the and the Giants in this one. For what it's worth, this game should have been more the, um, a, a bigger blowout than what it was. Washington, I'm sorry, the, the Giants missed a field goal early in the game by Graham Gano, which took a 47-yard that he missed. That should have given them at least 17 points. And then Saquon Barkley had a fumble late in the game uh, when, when the Giants were already well within field goal range and even threatening for another touchdown. So this game could have really been a lot uglier than what the box score, the final score shows. But Tyrod Taylor looked in control. Um, he, he didn't take a lot of sacks. And, and, yeah, I mean, finding his receivers, knowing where to look downfield and finding his receivers who are bailing him out whenever plays break down. Uh, no turnovers, highly efficient play. Tyrod Taylor, if if not for this whole, there's a teammate who has a four-year, $160 million contract on the other side of him deal. I, th- I think Taylor would be the starter next week. And I'm not really real willing to fully rule that out heading into this week, although I would be shocked if Daniel Jones was benched if healthy. I could see it be a situation where they give Daniel Jones one more week to get healthy, so to speak, where a week he might not have otherwise gotten And if Tyrod Taylor leads them to victory again, maybe things will get weird. But $40 million a year, it's very hard for things to get that weird. Brian Dable is really going to be questioning the medical staff. Like, are you sure he's clear? Yes, exactly. Are we Uh, sure? Closing the book on this game, Jalen Hyatt for the second week in a row, a new career high for targets. It was only five, but he turned it into two catches, 
for 75 yards. Darren Waller has looked much livelier with Tyrod Taylor. That's another bad sign for the Giants is that it's taken Tyrod Taylor to kind of – Daniel Jones did kind of unlock him two weeks ago. Not to overly dramatic there, but his best overall game, I would say, was seven catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown. Finally getting something out of Darren Waller. Uh, we'll see. Who did the Giants play? They play the Jets. Oof, yikes. Um, yeah. Look, let me just say, Darren Waller heading into this game, it's easy to sleep on Darren Waller and what he had provided so far for the Giants this season. I think in part because Daniel Jones has legitimately been that bad. But heading into this game, Darren Waller, I believe, was on pace for 799 receiving yards. That number is now up to 922 receiving yards through a 17-game pace. For a guy who's been injured uh, pretty much week in and week out, he's he's gutted through every injury. He's on pace for 85 receptions in addition to those 922 yards. Uh, he, he led the team in targets in this one. I, I think he's actually being treated as essentially the de facto quote unquote wide receiver one in this offense because the, the offense overall is lacking talent with all due respect to Wandale Robinson. And Waller is really kind of delivering what we were hoping to see at this point in time, even if it took him a couple weeks to get there. Several big games over the last few weeks um, that, that I think has kind of put him on pace to be the tight end we hope to see when we were drafting him earlier this summer. Final game of the slate, Chiefs 31, Chargers 17. A, a game that was kind of going supernova in the first half. I mean, Patrick Mahomes had 300 yards for halftime, correct? Uh, yeah, a, a, a game insane. that was, was shooting all the way out. There was nothing happened after the break. Travis Kelsey goes totally nuts, 12 catches for 179 yards and a touchdown. MVS scores a long touchdown, leads the Chiefs receiver core with 84 yards. Rasheed Rice, another really steady stat line. Five for 60 and a touchdown. Uh, Chargers side, Josh Palmer went nuts. Five of seven for 133 yards. Uh, I don't even, I, I don't quite know where to begin here. I didn't see a ton of this game. Uh, where, where do you want to begin with Chiefs Chargers, Zach? Uh, I mean, we can certainly start somewhere within the neighborhood of Patrick Mahomes throwing for 424 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception. Uh, if you think that's a good hopping on point, yeah. we can we can begin with that. Um, th- that's a very good stat line for those new to the podcast and new to football. Um, welcome in to the Swifties. We're happy to have you here. Uh, but 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 Patrick Mahomes went absolutely nuclear in this game, 32 of 42 passing. Uh, I already mentioned 424 yards, four touchdowns, and he found four different pass catchers in this game. First scores, Travis Kelsey, MVS, Rasheed Rice, and then Isaiah Pacheco snuck in for, I think it was like an eight-yard touchdown reception late in the fourth quarter to put this game out of reach, but Mahomes looked as good as ever. His one interception was really just kind of on like this deep ball attempt down the left side of the field where he threw an interception. You know how sometimes Mahomes just does these plays where it's an interception, you know it's bad, but you can just tell like he and the offense are in sync he doesn't care he's just going to come back out and brush it off and continue it's legit kind of a steph curry thing where every once in a while steph curry will make like a totally ridiculous turnover and the the stakes for a turnover are lower in the nba on any individual possession but it is like a steph curry thing with him where he's like i'm just gonna try something and yeah like, like like his interception was basically just like let's let's see if this works it didn't it got picked off and they came back out and, you know, we're, we're the Chiefs offense again on the next drive. But uh, Mahomes was spreading the ball around well in this one. It was good to see young receivers like Rasheed Rice get involved. Rasheed Rice has actually been far more involved this season than I think we kind of realized because 
of the cloud that's hanging over us with with I say cloud like it's a bad thing, but Travis Kelsey obviously does what he does every week. Isaiah Pacheco has been another big player in this offense, but Rasheed Rice has had five or more targets in five of seven games this year for the Chiefs. He turned that into five catches for 60 yards and touchdown this week. I think Rice is trending on being sort of like a boomer bust wide receiver three where it's just enough volume that he can get you there with a long play or a score. Uh, he's a player who Mahomes is comfortable with targeting specifically down in the red zone. That's how he scored this week on on a back of the end zone, like six yard reception uh, after they got down the area. So so between the volume and that Rice is seeing and then also the the end zone looks, I think, brings a lot of value to him from a wide receiver three standpoint. If you're looking for that, that guy to kind of stabilize your fantasy lineups a little bit. Um, and then MVS, people are probably going to be prone to chasing points on his three catches, 84 yards, one touchdown stat line. MVS saw five targets in this game. He had seen three or fewer targets in every single game prior to this week. So please, when you are out there perusing the waiver wire and MVS pops up because he he had an otherwise very solid week, just remember this five-target outing was the first he's seen all season. He had not seen more than three targets in any game prior to today. On the other side, uh, frustrating day for the Chargers in fantasy. We did not really get the fantasy production we needed uh, very much, including myself. Needed a big day from Justin Herbert. But the main takeaway, I feel like, is Josh Palmer. Four straight games where he's drawn at least seven targets. Four straight games where he's produced at least 60 yards. This was by far his best game of 2023. 133 yards. Uh, juiced by a 60-yard catch, but for some reason he's used down the field. What, was that a downfield catch or was like a, a yards after catch catch job, Zach? Uh, but anyway, uh, Josh end- Palmer looks like he's turning into a wide receiver three, basically. Yeah, the answer is actually yes to both. It was a downfield throw uh, that that resulted in Josh Palmer. I have to go back and look at actual numbers on it, but if if I had to just kind of throw off out of uh, estimation here, it was probably about a thirty yard reception, thirty more yards after the catch. It was a very much a long catch and a long run for Josh Palmer on that particular play. Um, and, and he led the and he led the Chargers in receiving. The only place where he trailed was in targets. Keenan Allen still led the way in targets there. Didn't do much with his nine targets, just four catches for 55 yards. But Palmer made several big plays in this one, not just the 60-yard reception. He had another deep pass earlier on um, to help set up something later on for the Chargers. But he's been kind of good over these last few weeks. I think he is, like you said, moving into that wide receiver three territory also for fantasy purposes. The the one thing that continues to stand out for Josh Palmer, especially when you compare him to the other pass catchers that we're used to seeing with the chargers is just the speed. Uh, we know that Keenan Allen doesn't offer that Mike Williams for as much as we love him with the contested catches and all the exciting big plays he makes. He does not have the speed that Josh Palmer offers. And when you get the ball in Josh Palmer's hands, he tends to look very explosive with it. And I think that's a fun element for the chargers to have if they can and just find a way to turn that into more than 17 points in a game against the Kansas City Chiefs, that would be great. I, I went back and looked in the second half of this game. The, these were the five possessions that the Chargers had in the second half. 11 plays, interception, three plays, punt, three plays, punt, three plays, punt, nine plays, interception. That is not in any way, shape, or form a way to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And and the first interception in the second half was just completely untimely. The Chargers totaled 73 yards on that first drive in the second half. They got, uh, you know, within touchdown range, essentially, and uh, the ball was – batted up in the air by a, a, a Chiefs defensive lineman and Legarius Sneed of the Chiefs came down with it, ending any chances that the Chargers had at points and kind of a, a fast-paced uh, score. And to top it off, it was just a very long drive that ended in, in no time, or that that ended with no points. That certainly doesn't help either. But, um, yeah, just 
It's not happening for Quentin Johnston. It's not happening for Darius Davis. I think they wanted it to be anyone other than Josh Palmer, but it's just very clearly Josh Palmer in the post Mike Williams. Yeah, it's also not happening for Austin Eckler. We we probably need to talk about that just a little bit. 14 carries for 45 yards. Eckler left in the second quarter of this game. He kind of came up gimpy on what was possibly an ankle injury. The weird thing that they said on the broadcast was Eckler did not speak with trainers on the sidelines. I guess they just kind of let him work it out, and then he went back into the game. They never fully diagnosed this injury, but then throughout the rest of the game, he looked a little bit gimpy at times on the sideline. I would not be surprised to see him on the injury port whenever that drops. Um, I guess right. it's Wednesday if, if they play on Sunday. It is Wednesday. Yep, it will so, be Wednesday. So, so it'll be Wednesday when we see that. I would keep an eye out for Austin Eckler on the injury report just based on what we kind of saw in this game. He did not look like 100%. And then Josh Kelly, on the other hand, seven carries, 75 yards, and a 45, 49-yard touchdown. Um, so it's not happening for Austin Eckler in either of his first two games back for injury. And what we saw may have been nothing. He finished the game out, but it, it's just, it's such a bad line. And the way he was kind of moving at various points does make me wonder if he's not going to pop on the injury reports. So keep an eye out for that. Something to keep an eye on this week at rotoworld.com as we update every injury and get everyone ready for week eight. Uh, thank you so much to Denny Carter, Kyle Dvorak, Eric Samalski, Aditya Foliore, and of course, Mr. Zach Kruger. We're going to be filling the site all week with excellent stuff. The beginning of Kyle's waiver wired, which should maybe be out by the time you're listening to this on early Monday morning. Not early. He'll, he'll be, this will be out early Monday morning. He'll be out a little later Monday morning, uh, but check that out. Uh, check out Jack's, this is Jack's, Zach's. You, I always call it your usage report. What, what, what did we actually call your usage report article? Uh, it's snap report, which I should probably change it to running back snap report since that's all I cover, but it's a snap report article. Snap report article. It's very, very good information. Uh, so check that out. Check out my rankings later in the week. Check out Denny's regression files. Check out Kyle's 32 stats. Uh, just keep it locked to the site as always. So for the whole gang, I'm Pat. Thank you for listening. We will be back later this week. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are.